tonight, and now we have we have a really great uh, uh, honor here. Uh, you know, a lot of times people know that uh, Jesse and uh, and Jared were the founders of this church, but there was one other guy that was part of this, and that was Ben. Ben is an elder here uh, at the church, and he was here from day one. So uh, with absence in, with Jesse this morning, uh, uh, Ben is actually going to give us the message. So help me welcome and give a good round of applause for our Ben here. Thank you. Uh, first, it's good, good to be back here. I've been missing for two weeks. My wife, uh, we had our first child. Everything's great. Her name's Emma. Uh, she was, it's awesome. Uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to share a quick testimony about that. Uh, and uh, this involves Chad, so it's fine. But uh, it's just about God's goodness and his sovereignty. And just he speaks to us still. And sometimes it's in voices. Sometimes it's in dreams and visions. But uh, back when uh, we found out we were pregnant, we told people. And Chad came up to me. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was a Christmas carol night here last December. And he said, hey, Ben, I was laying in bed the other night. And just a vision popped in my head of you, Crystal, and the baby. And it was so peaceful. And you guys were so joyful. And back then I thought, oh, my wife just lost her job. That's maybe for that, like a piece in that. And then uh, when Emma was first born, I might get choked up here because uh, she came out and she wasn't breathing. And as a dad, that's, that's nervous. And I was like shaking. I was pacing. And they took her right away. They cut her cord right away. They didn't even let us do anything. And they, and they took her and they brought her back and had to, like, test her and stuff, and I was, I was pacing, and I was nervous, and I was scared, and then all of a sudden, I remember what Chad told me, and I thought it was, was for the job situation and stuff, but I realized in that moment, Chad had said that for that moment, and in that moment, I felt peace, and I actually started declaring the goodness of God over my daughter and said, you're sovereign. You, Chad had this vision. I believe that was from you. He knew it was from you, and then so luckily, everything's all right. She actually just swallowed some fluid on the way out, and it was in her lungs, and they sucked it out of her, and she's fine. And I sat there with my wife holding the baby and was so peaceful and joyful. So God still speaks. So that's just a testimony of his goodness and his sovereignty. But I figure i let you guys know a little bit about me first because you see me around. I really don't speak that much except, like, transitions and stuff. I lead worship once in a while. But uh, I grew up in Maryland with Jared. He was in Pennsylvania. The best way to we describe that area is 15 minutes from Gettysburg. That's the easiest way to tell people up here, uh, even though I was in Maryland. Grew up with Jared, traveled with Jared, and in 2008, I came to Scranton for the first time with Jared to speak at a church, and I fell in love with the place. And I don't know why. Everyone, and you tell people that here, and they're like, Scranton? Like, you love Scranton? I'm like, I love Scranton. And I went home, and on the car ride back with Jared, I said, Jared, we should move up here or something, like plant a church or something, because I was like into planting churches back then, and so was he. And uh, he came back to me like a week later and said, no, <laughs> like I'm from Scranton. I don't want to go back to Scranton. And then probably two months later, he met me at a coffee shop in Gettysburg and said, you know what? I prayed about it, and let's go to Scranton. And so that's how this whole thing started, and I'm glad, and I love to see and how the church has grown. It's awesome. I love all these people here. You're all my family now. I don't miss home at all, except for my parents, <laughs> but I love this place. I love Scranton, and so back then, I was like a zealous guy. I wanted to speak places. I thought it was what I was supposed to do, and so we had this opportunity once, and this is a famous story around here, if they were there, uh, to speak at the Scranton Rescue Mission, and this is the last time I spoke until two months ago when I spoke at Celebrate. I was at the Scranton Rescue Mission, and we did worship, and I was giving this message on the goodness of the Lord, 
And like, uh, it was a verse out of Hebrews where it says, by faith Moses forsook Egypt and wanted to uh, follow in the reproach of Christ. He didn't care about the riches of Egypt, but wanted to suffer with the people of Israel. And I was like, well, that means God's worth it. That also means we're worth it. So I'm telling people how God loves us. All of a sudden, in the middle of me speaking, a guy stands up and starts heckling me. It's not just like a, hey, you stink heckle. It's, you're saying you're better than us! And just yelling it at me. And so I'm like looking through my notes. I was like, did I say that? Did I say that I was better than anyone here? And so I'm like racking my head. It was nerve-wracking. And luckily, the people there escorted the guy out. And so I'm shook. I mean, that's never happened ever. I've never seen a live comedians get heckled all the time. But, and so they take him out. I go through my sermon. And all of a sudden, I look over, and there's ambulances and everything. I'm like, oh, my God, what happened? And so after I was done, the leader of the, or the rescue mission came in, and he said, that guy fainted out there of shock. And then we had to call an ambulance. And I've never spoken since. <laughs> One, because it shocked me so much. I was like, I must be bad at this. So I might, might as well not do it again. And two, I was like, I can kill people. <laughs> so I say that today just as like, uh, I'm never speaking down. I, sometimes I don't, I don't know if I come across like that, but this message today as I worked on it is, is for me as much as it is for you guys. And like, it's affected me in preparing it. And I was crying today during worship because of it. And it was just a, so hear my heart. I'm never speaking down. And then if you want to heckle me and you think it's bad, wait till the end. And then I'll never speak again, so... But uh, today we're still in Corinthians. I was so happy when Jesse texted me and said, hey, I need you to preach a week. And he said, 1 Corinthians 11. I went to it and I was like, oh my gosh, head coverings? I really thought it was going to make me do that. I was like, I do not want to do this verse. This is a controversial thing right now. And he said, no, communion. I'll do head coverings. I'm like, thank goodness. But communion is still a big, big deal. And uh, sometimes I think today we don't treat it as sacred as it is, and then we'll see that in the text today as we go through it. But if you don't mind, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and today we're going to read verses 17 all the way through 34, but we're going to take breaks in between. So this is the first part, starting at 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. And if you have the ESV, the next phrase is awesome. He goes, what? Like with an exclamation point, you can't believe it. And he says, do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. And so we have to put this in a little bit of context. When he says the phrase, when you come together, he's not talking about a Sunday morning church service. Back then, uh, the early Christian church had these things called a love feast or an agape feast. They would come together, get food, and have a huge meal, and in the midst of that, celebrate the Lord's Supper as well. Uh, the problem with the Corinth church is that their love feast was absent of love. They had no love at all, and he notes that there are divisions among them, and he even addresses the fact that he says it's good for this, so the genuine people may be shown, 
But most theologians actually believe he's being sarcastic there because he's, he's basically saying, you're just doing this so you can prove yourself better than the other people around you. So turn to your neighbor and say, I think I'm the genuine one here today. No. <laughs> no reaction. Another thing about me real quick is for some reason I think I'm a comedian. And so if no one laughs, I just keep telling more and more jokes. But I keep going. So I need some participation today if that's fine with you guys. So fake laugh. I don't care. You can hate the joke. Just fake laugh. And so he was mad at them because, one, they're arguing with each other, and they're trying to just prove who's better than each other. And then he goes on to say that you guys are just bringing food for yourselves and wine for yourselves and just eating it and not sharing with people. And the best way to describe this is like a reverse potluck. And so today we're having a church picnic. It's a potluck, correct? Everyone's bringing their own, own meal. Uh, anyone like potlucks? I don't, and I'll tell you why. And this is, don't not go to the picnic because of this, but for some reason, I, I see myself make the food. I know I wash my hands. I don't see you guys make the food. I don't know that you wash your hands, so I get scared. But I also have this other story. If we can throw that picture up real quick. Uh, I have a potluck nightmare story, and this is why I get scared of them. Uh, I was a supervisor at a call center up on Montage Mountain, and every month we'd have a potluck, and people, every person there we had about probably 200 employees would bring food and so as a manager I'd go in and try to get like the first of it because I was a jerk and I go in that got no laughs <laughs> but I go in and I'm looking around and I, f- I come upon this bag that has that note cooked best to heat in microwave I'm like oh wings this is good so I, bags open amongst all the food I look in there and they are raw chicken wings and so I look around at all the food there and go, oh my gosh, there's salmonella in all this food now because this bag of raw chicken wings. That's how I think. This bag of raw chicken wings is open. And I'm like, who hired this guy? I hope I didn't hire this guy because I would do interviews and hire people. I'm like, please don't let this be me, the guy that brought raw, raw chicken wings. But that is why I don't like potlucks. Uh, I don't know if you can tell, but those are like, and it was warm in there. We actually lost power to the building that day. So it wasn't like they're in an air conditioning room. They were in a like 90 degree break room just chilling amongst all the rest of the foods. So if I don't eat your food today at the picnic, sorry. Uh, I did eat, everyone that brought food for me and my wife, thank you so much. I ate all of that. It was all good. So I trusted you guys. So, But so the Corinthians, instead of bringing food to share with people, they would just bring food and eat it all and then drink it all. And Paul is saying, hey, the poor is in this one room because they would separate back then. The poor and the enslaved are in one room starving. The rich are in one room just eating their heart's desire, and there's no love. Gluttony was present, drunkenness was present, but love was not present. And I know what you're thinking, what does this have to do with me right here today? I don't know of anyone that's done this. I do have a story from Mike that he's allowed me to share. Mike, when he was younger, was an altar boy. He went back after, this, after communion and would drink the wine. He might be the closest one to relate to this story, but how does this relate to us today? I just don't think we value communion like we should. I grew up in church. Anyone else here grow up in a church? It's sort of just become routine. Once a month, every Sunday, we walk up, and we take the bread, and we take the cup, and we drink it, and we don't really understand what we're drinking and what we're eating. And it's not just a ritual or a tradition. It is a visual proclamation of the gospel of Christ. It's the Lord's Supper. Paul was so mad because they took the Lord out of the supper and just made it a supper. And so he, in the next verses, reminds them what it's about. So if we go to the next set of verses there. 
And I might be quick today, but that's good because then it means we get to the picnic faster than we usually do. He goes on in verse 23. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so that verse is one of the most familiar verses here, I believe. Like, we hear it all the time, like I said, once a month. And we don't really know what it means. And so, sorry, changed too many notes. We, uh, one of the first things I think that should happen when we take communion, and Paul points it out, is that we should remember Christ. This is about Christ. This is about his body broken for us. And the coolest thing about those verses, if you notice, Christ broke the bread. He didn't hand it to Peter, John, or James and say, hey, break this for me, give it back to me, and take it. He broke the bread because he broke his body. He knew fully willing uh, what he was going to go through. And then also the, one of the coolest things about Jesus is right there he says he gave thanks for it. He's not just giving thanks for the bread he's about to eat. He's giving thanks knowing that he was about to go through the most excruciating pain ever. A crown of thorns shoved on his head, a spear through his side, whips and everything. And he gave thanks for it, trusting and knowing the will of God and the heart of the Father, knowing that what this was going to cause for the rest of us. And so when we take communion, we proclaim Christ's death. And in proclaiming Christ's death, we proclaim that because of him, the power of sin and death have been defeated and the enslaved are set free. Not because of anything we did. We saw that there. He took the bread and broke it himself. It's not any good works or deeds we worked up. Christ didn't say, okay, Chad did this. Uh, he's saved. Kenny did this. He's not saved. Christ broke the bread himself, not because of anything we did. He died for us because he loved us. And one of my favorite sections of verses in Philippians, and I really believe this shows just how awesome this is, and it's just about Christ humbling himself and coming down to us. And how often we don't think that Christ was God. He didn't need anything. He didn't need us, but he wanted to love us. He wanted to show love to people. So if you turn with me to Philippians 2, we're going to read verses 4 through 6. Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours, Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being formed in human form. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. And so, I always thought that was like a cool picture of God sitting in heaven and the fact that he had to humble himself to come to earth. It wasn't like, like, that's a big step for God. Imagine if you were a president and you humbled yourself to go work or to go serve in the army. Like, that's basically, and save everybody. Like, that's basically what God did. It was, a, it was a thing. So when we take communion, when we take the bread, we remember his broken body, and we remember that he humbled himself, and we should turn all our affection to him. And we also, if you skip down in Corinthians, it said we do this uh, 
in remembrance until he comes. So there's two promises there. There's a fulfilling of the promise of his death, and there's also a promise of his second coming and a hope of his second coming. So when you take communion today, it's cool. The past meets the future and then meets us in the present right here. It's a sacred moment where his promise is fulfilled, another promise happens, and it meets us here. So today we don't live without hope. When we take this, we declare his death and we declare his second coming. And so that's why Paul was so mad at the Corinthian church and had to correct them because he said, you're not declaring anything right here. You're showing love to no one. How are you declaring the gospel in this meal? And so that's what the biggest thing is. This is a visual proclamation of the gospel. And that's what they did back then. People knew they were the church because halfway through their meal, they would give thanks for the bread, break it, and drink the cup. And people were like, what are they doing that for? Back then it was a way to show that you were a Christian. And then so the second thing that communion should lead us to do is remember who we are. And this is a very important one. Uh, When he says, he grabs the cup and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant. So if there's a new covenant, there was? Yeah. I like participation. And so often I think we are still stuck under that old covenant mindset. We still think that somehow a sacrifice, we have to make some sort of sacrifice to work our way to Christ. We live as slaves when he has set us free. We live under the bondage of our sin, even though he has forgiven us of all our sins. In communion, we declare that we are under the new covenant because of his blood. And uh, I'm going to jump to a lot of scripture today. Well, actually, not a lot, but if you turn with me to, well, you don't have to turn, I'll read it, and it should be up on the screen. Uh, It's Jeremiah 31 and verses 31 through 34. And this is a great verse, section of verses in the New Covenant. And this is really what it's all about. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day I took them by hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each brother say, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. That's great news, right? (laughs) That should be something we clap about right now. He's forgiven you, and he's remembering your sin no more. So when we drink the cup today, that is what we're declaring. This isn't our own doing. This is a gift of God. He's saying, I'm forgiven you. You're my people now. I've written my law in your hearts. No longer do you have to, like, teach each other about it. My law, when you're saved, is on your heart. And I'm your God, and you're my people, which is another great news. Have you? We're his people. And it's so good, and I think sometimes we just forget it. We start living in our sin again, and we start forgetting who we are. And that's one of the great things about Celebrate Recovery. We're, we celebrate Jesus, not us, and we realize that he's conquered everything for us. We just have to work our way through our issues, and most of the issue is just an identity issue. We just don't, don't realize who we are in Christ. We need to start living like we're seated by Christ, and that's one of the the other verses I love that I want to read, and Will actually has a tattooed on him. He's not going to show it to you, but <laughs> it's, a, it's Ephesians 2, and this verse is one of my favorite verses ever. I know I've said, that, I've said that twice today about two different verses, but this is like the best one out of all of them, and it's really a picture of who we were and now who we are. It's Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. 
And you were dead in the trespasses of your sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our own flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature's children of wrath. So stop right there. So what were we before Christ? Children of wrath. We deserve the death that he died. We deserve to be dead and no eternal life afterwards. We deserved death. And this is where the best part is. But, so God always puts that in. It's a great little thing he uses. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he can show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness in us towards through Christ Jesus. So that should make everyone here jump and we don't because we're so used to like, oh, I'm a sinner. We're so used to it. But today I'm declaring when we take this cup and this is how important this cup of the new covenant is, you're declaring who you are. You're declaring that his death gave you life. You're declaring that you're no longer dead to sin. You're alive in Christ. And this cup today, as you drink it, is your identity. It is who you are. And we need to declare that over ourselves. The old covenant, like I said, declared that there had to be a sacrifice for sin. That's what the old covenant said. The new covenant declares that Christ was that sacrifice. When you sin, his forgiveness and grace meet you right now, right where you are. There's that great line where grace abounds, sins abounds, or where sin abounds, grace abounds so much more. He meets you there. Even in your deepest, darker sin, grace is there ready to forgive you. And that's insane. I couldn't do that with anyone here. If anyone sinned against me here, I could not meet him with grace and forgiveness. We have to. We're called to. But how hard is that? And that's what we're drinking today. Who was at that table with Jesus that night? Disciples. Who was one of those disciples there? He offered that to Judas that night, even though he was about to betray him. We've all betrayed Christ in our life. So if you're thinking today, there's no way for me to get to Christ. If you're thinking, I'm not good enough to get to Christ, he offered that to Judas, the betrayer of Christ. So never count yourself out of this new covenant. Never think there's too many sins you've done. His grace is there and ready to meet you. So when we take this cup today, in a a few moments, we're declaring this. I once was dead, now I'm alive. I once was a slave, now I'm free. I once was filthy, now I'm clean. I once was unrighteous, now I'm righteous. I was an orphan, now I'm a son or daughter. I was weak, now I'm strong. I was poor, now I'm rich in him. I was an enemy, now I'm a friend. I was lost, now I'm found. That is great news. Declare that over yourself today. As you take this cup, declare it. It is the Most amazing news. It's a scandal. They call it the scandal of grace. You don't get it. It doesn't make sense. But God in his perfect love is saying, you're my son and daughter. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you're doing. I've forgiven you. Live like me. Live like you are not sinning. And one of the biggest things, if you start start thinking about your sin, you live in your sin. If you start thinking you're free, you live like you're free. And now it's time for the not-so-good verses. These are what I call the scary verses of this section. Uh, this is a tough part to go through. and it's, uh, So we have to read this in context of what I just said. So as we're reading these next section of verses, don't think, oh my God, I'm going to die today if I take communion. Uh, just wait for it and we'll, we'll work, work through it. So in verse 27, he says, 
Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let each, each person examine himself then, and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks the judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be judged along and condemned with the rest of the world. So those are some scary, really scary verses. I used to be afraid of them when I was a kid. I'll take communion and be like, oh, Lord, I might die. Uh, so like I said, one thing we have to read this in context of what just happened and what Paul is, conde- is correcting them for. And so he's correcting them for what? Despising the church, arguing, and then humiliating the poor. And so we already know that God forgave our sins, right? That's the new covenant, correct? This went over it. He's forgiven us. So this isn't like if you take this and you still have some sin in your life, you're going to drop dead in front of us. This is a judgment because of what they're doing to the poor and what they're despising the church by arguing. And there's that verse 31 that says, if, you, if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. Which is true. Have you ever like, had to punish yourself? Do you really ever punish yourself? Like, imagine if you're in a court and the judge says, okay, you're guilty, but pick your punishment. Would anyone be in jail? Well, no, unless jail is really nice. Uh, we are not good at doing that. And then also, uh, all the parents out there, including me now, woo, you don't, and I haven't, spanked my kid or anything yet. They're too young for that. But uh, you know that when you discipline your kid, it's not out of of some like sick, angry mindset. You're disciplining them because you know down the road what you're disciplining for now will save them in a future situation. And that's what God's saying there. And what Paul's trying to display is sometimes grace is a correction. His grace towards us is a correction. He's saying, hey, I'm going to not condemn you with the rest of the world, but I'm going to correct you right here. You need to get right and get on path. The most part of the uh, things the Corinthians were known for is they lost their love for God. That's what Paul's trying to display through them throughout all 1 Corinthians. Is like, hey, you lost your first love. Like, you're not viewing God as your love. And so this judgment is trying to correct them onto that path and saying, hey, turn towards the Lord. And I also think it's funny. I think it's because they're overeating and getting drunk on all the wine all the time, too. If you overeat and just drink, someone's going to die, right? <laughs> and so it's scary. That death line is scary. Uh, but we have to view it in the context of what Paul was saying. He's not saying you'll die if you have sin in your life. He's saying check yourself before you take communion. Are you despising the church? And are you humiliating the poor? And so it's not only a warning of judgment, but it is a call to love. And when he says in the next few verses, uh, I'm not going to read them because it's very brief, but he says, if you want to eat, eat at home. So he's saying, if you, if you plan just to come to this meal to stuff yourself with food, don't do that in front of people. Eat it at home. So it's this call to love that means selfishness has to be left at home. And so the last thing communion should do for us and it should compel us to love and live like Christ did. We need to love the church. We don't need to despise the church. And this just doesn't mean you love coming to City Lights Church on a Sunday morning. 
This means you love the person sitting next to you. This means you love the people in this room. This means you love the people in other churches in this area. This means you love the people, the churches of this nation and other nations. It's not just the, hey, I like coming to church on Sunday. I'm not despising the church. It's a call to love. Christ died for the church. He died for you sitting here right now. He calls the church his bride. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. I mean, unless you like, it's like, I don't know. I was trying to think of it. If you divorce tons of times, maybe you don't realize that. But <laughs> the, he died and said, hey, this is my bride. I see him as pure and holy. I see them as clean people. And we actually have to start viewing the church like that. I've met so many people that sort of like, you meet someone in a church, and all of us are guilty of this. Sometimes you just don't like people. I don't know. Our person, someone here might not like me right now, but sometimes personalities get in the way. But if you start viewing people through the eyes of Christ, you say, okay, Christ, you died for these people. You called them pure and holy. In the end, in Revelations, there's this uh, very awesome verse where John gets to see the church of Christ, and he sees them, and they're in white garments, and they're shining, and that's how we should view the people around us right now and the people we encounter. We don't see them for their sin. We see them for their clean and their pure lives through Christ. So that's the first thing. We can't despise the church. We can't be arguing amongst each other. We need to view each other as Christ's bride. And the second thing is just a call to love the poor and broken and enslaved. And it's tough. It's a tough one because I see... One, sometimes we don't know who's enslaved and who's poor, and sometimes we just pass them by. And it's the, it's the one that causes me to realize I'm the most selfish person. It is. When you see someone on the street and you know you can buy them food or you know you can give them change, and I'm all for giving people change. I know some people don't like it because they might go buy booze. But if you can connect with that person and talk with that person for a few minutes while you give them that change and show them the love of Christ, good. But most of the time I walk by a person that's passing by. There's a guy, uh, the other week, I'll tell two stories. The other week, I was driving home. I was playing basketball up in Archbald with Josh Scritchfield, who's not here today. And I was driving home, and I was by the high school in Scranton. And I looked to my left, and there was a guy, and I'll do it, just laying on the ground like this. And so I'm like, this guy might be dead. This guy is lying there dead. And so I rolled down my window I'm like, hey, buddy, nothing. All of a sudden, I hear this shriek from a person behind me going, someone call 911, and I'm like, oh, Lord. And so I'm driving, and I call 911, and I tell him the guy's there, and he goes, oh, yeah, we have reports of that. And I was like, I'm just going to keep driving. No one's stopping for this guy. And so I get up to the hill. I'm like, I'll turn around. So I turn around. I drive back, park in the high school, I run across the street. This is where it gets scary. And I don't suggest any of you do this unless you're six foot seven and bigger built. And I go up and I'm like, sir? He jumps up and goes, ah! I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And so like I run. <laughs> like, I'm like, this guy's going to kill me. But the fact is, I stop for that guy. But there's a guy I see every day driving to work. And I shouldn't have stopped for that guy. He almost killed me. But... There's a guy that wears one of my work's jackets that they gave us for Christmas. I don't know where he got it from. It says Kevin's across the front because that's where I work. I'm like, where did this guy get this jacket? Like, who gave it to him or where did he take it from? And I never stopped to say, hey, man, how's it going? 
Never. And the worst part was on Easter Sunday, I'm at Jesse's house eating Easter dinner. I look out his door and the guy's across the street. This guy's never over there. He's over by my work. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And in my head, I said, I should offer this guy to come in and eat Easter with us. Did I? No. And actually, sadly, I haven't seen him since. And uh, we, we pass by so many people each day. And this is not just poor people. We, everyone knows someone in their lives that's sort of wrapped up in some sort of bondage. That they're not living like they're free. And we can help them out. And there's this verse that I love. And this is the last verse I'm reading today. Uh, it's in Isaiah. It's one of my favorite verses again. Ha. The whole Bible is my favorite, so I can say favorite tons of times. Let me get there. I forgot to mark it. I marked everything else being smart, but this one I forgot. But it is uh, Isaiah 58. And I read this the other day, and I was like, or probably like a month ago, I stumbled across this verse at a prayer night here, and like felt immediately horrible after reading it, but then felt a call to go and do something about it. So it's Isaiah 58, verses 9 through 12. Then you shall call on the Lord, and he will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. And he says, if you take away the yoke from your midst, which is the burden from your midst, anyone you come across, if you take away their yoke, the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness. So it's a call not to be angry. It's a call to free people from what they're under. And then it gets convicting here. It says, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desires of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in darkness and your gloom shall be as noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places Make your bones strong. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt, and you shall rise up the foundations of many generations. And that's just powerful. I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh, Scranton is an ancient ruin. Everyone agree? (laughs) And the simple way to get out of that is just to love the people we encounter. Go out of your way to encounter people. I'm not kidding. We can rebuild this city and this nation just by simply loving people. And so by taking communion today, we remember what Christ did, his body broken for us, his blood, the new covering shed for us, and we should be compelled to love. So, Kenny, if you guys want to come up, we're going to go into a worship song. We're doing communion a little bit differently today uh, because this next part I want us to take some time and examine ourselves. And I'll read the four thing or three things. Actually, it's four if my notes were here. Four things we should examine ourselves. And then during worship, whenever you want, just come up, grab the elements, drink them, eat them, and just or take them back to your seats. Whatever way you want to do it, you can drink and eat it here, walk to the trash can, throw it away, take it back to your seat, and drink it. But we're not going to do like that verse again. I read the verse. We know what Christ did for us. We've declared it today. So just take it on your own accord. But so today, as we close, before we take communion, and after I scared everyone from doing it by these judgment verses, uh, the first thing we should do is, when we examine ourselves, is think, do I see and believe what the bread 
and cups signify that Christ loves the church and gave himself for. So when we examine yourself and realize, do you believe what you're partaking of? Do you believe that Christ died? And then do you feel bad that your attitudes and actions are inconsistent with the love of Christ for the church and the poor? So examine yourself again and go, are my actions displaying Christ? Am I meeting people? Am I encountering people and showing them Christ? And then third one is, do you renounce those attitudes and actions and turn to the path of love and say, I will not treat the church as something cheap. I will love the church and cherish the redeemed blood-brought people of God, and I will love the poor and serve the poor. And the last thing is, and then do you just trust that Jesus will forgive you for these bad attitudes and actions and that he will give you the power to walk in love? So as they start singing this song today, do those four things. One, do you believe what you're taking? Do you understand what it means? Two, do you feel bad that sometimes your actions and attitudes don't line up with it? And then do you turn away from those actions and then believe that Christ can forgive you of those? So today, I know it's sort of a a tougher message at the end, but there's so much good news in this message. And so we're doing a song, uh, It's Jesus, You've Won Me, just to celebrate that he's won us. His body and blood won us. We no longer have to live in sin, but we're one. We're free people. 